and welcome to Dominic to Draft. This is episode 40, recording the 23rd of October 2013. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Dan! News! Uh, we are now up to many judges within the judge program. <laughs> There's now four and a half thousand judges worldwide. Um, that's a 25% increase since the beginning of 2013, and we've more than doubled the number of judges since May 2011. Now, this means that in about 62 years, uh, every single person in the world will be a judge. And uh, that will be during M76. So that will be the best <laughs> judge pre-release ever. Wow. Even even newborns. like the, the whole judge thing will be so ingrained by that point that you'll be born knowing all of the rules of magic. Yeah, you'll be born. I'll just be like, tell me what the seven layers are. Tell me what the subsections are in layer seven. <laughs> oh, dear God, that's terrifying. That could be terrifying if, like, the first word is, like, disqualification from a newborn, you know. <laughs> it probably would be. If if you were born at that point, that would be your first word. Quite possibly. <laughs> uh, moving on to Proterotheros. Apparently, some people get together uh, every now and then to play big games of magic. This time, they decided to go gather in Dublin and... Uh, Jeremy Dazani won with his mono blue deck from Team Revolution, I want to say. It was, yeah. Yeah. That's a team with uh, Melissa Totoro and um, a couple other, uh, mostly French, players on it. And this also turned um, the junk rare that was Master of Waves into a ridiculously expensive card. Yeah, you see, I don't know why everyone thought it was junk rare. Like, I thought it was good. I just didn't think it was as good as that, obviously. But, like, nobody cared about it until, like, a few days before the Pro Tour, really. Like, the prices started kind of rising, like, across the week before Pro Tour, from basically, I think it was 4 or £5 for a rare, uh, for a Mythic, which is really low, yeah. especially for a new Mythic. And it just, like, it claimed to, I think it was about um, 10 or 11 just before the Pro Tour, and it jumped right up to, like, 15, 16 straight away. But, yeah, that's just silly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Pro Tours do. do. They uh, tell you which uh, rares you want to draft. In now, the now, speaking about junk rares, the funny one, that, in my opinion, was Night Vale Spectre. Because, I kid you not, there was one point where I saw Night Vale Spectres on uh, one of the big stores at 40 pence each. And I was Ooh. so close to just buying, like, 20 of them. Because I was like, this is a good card. Why? It's not great at the moment. But, like, after rotation, there's going to be so little options that something that provides card events like this is going to be good. And it was getting played in the uh, block as well. Like, in the, it was played in the block, block Pro Tour in quite a few decks. Mm-hmm. So I was so close to doing it. And I really wish I did because that just rocketed to, like, £5 after um, the, the Pro Tour. And it's still been rising because Mono Black... Um, Top eight. In fact, Mono Black won the last SCG event as well. So that's just put the value of that card up and up and up. It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I don't play the financial side of the game. It's it's not what I like to do. But it is a bit ridiculous just seeing how much a Pro Tour can warp prices. It's just like, the thing is, a card doesn't even have to actually be good. Like a card can be mediocre, and just when the, that kind of Buzz hits it, it just goes right up anyway. It's just crazy. But yeah, so there was a lot of mono blue being played, apparently. Yeah. Next piece of news. Joe Dex, Mad Mickelson versus Vraska has been announced. Oh, okay. If you don't get that joke, then <laughs> if you look at the artwork for the new Jace versus Rasko, I really dislike this artwork. Yeah, I'm not very keen on it at all. It just doesn't look like Jace. 
it really, like, I, I was just like, Jace, flat hair, that doesn't seem right. And I went through the pictures, like, okay, yeah, normal architect of thought doesn't maybe have the spikiest hair like all the rest of the Jaces do, but seriously, it, it looks, it looks wrong. He looks older than he should be. His hair's wrong. Yeah. It, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't really look like Jace, which some people may like because some people hate Jace, but. Yeah. The, the, this doesn't really jump out at me, this new Joe deck. And the funny thing about it is, of course, we just had Izzet versus Golgari, and now we have Jace versus Frasca. It's basically the same thing. Yeah, you just don't have red. I assume it's going to be a monocolored deck. Yeah. Well, it nah, could actually, be. maybe not, because, you know, we've had um, Heroes versus Monsters, the Mythics... And Heroes vs. Monsters were both monocolor, but they ended up being two-color decks. Uh, Tabolt's deck was two-color as well. Then Tabolt versus Soren, so. Yeah, this is true. So it could either, it could really go either way. Yeah, um, but still, it's, yeah, I really can't get past the fact I don't like the artwork. Like, I'm buying it because that's who I am. I like to have all of the things. But, um, I'm not buying it because I'm going, ooh, yay, foily J, squee. Yeah. I think I'll probably stick to copies of Jace Architect of Thought rather than Jace Architect of I Have No Neck Anymore. So That, that was something actually my wife pointed out. I was just like, he's got a, <laughs> he's got a bit of a collar going on, but yeah, he, he doesn't have a neck either. Yeah, it's a little bit strange. And, and Vraska's quite a big neck in hers as well, so it's just such a contrast as well. <laughs> it looks like her head's like popping up from her shoulders, like miles ahead of it, literally. And, and uh, his is just basically stuck to the shoulders. Yeah. Okay. Igor Kiruluk. Yeah, we yeah. go. Murder names again. I had to look through the artwork and Geisterstein Traft is about the only card he did which I like the artwork for. Like, I yeah, was looking at um, Elspeth Nightaront and Tezzer the Seeker from the Elspeth versus Tezzer Joe deck. They also oh, yeah. look so soulless and weird and wrong and distorted as well. It's like, can, can you not, can you just not do like faces? But I don't I, know, I'm maybe... being a very harsh critic saying I can't draw for toffee. Yeah, but then again, you don't kind of earn a living as an artist, so... Yeah, but anyways, um, yes, Joe Deck, Jace versus Vraska will be coming out March the 14th, 2014, so a wee wily away, and on May the 12th on Magic Online. I don't even understand why there's such a delay there. That's quite strange. Yeah. Hmm. Don't know why they would do that. No, I don't get that either. Last piece of news. Um, so this thing called Modern Masters came out a wee while ago. You may have heard of it. You probably didn't see very much of it. And what little you did see, you departed all of your money to get. <laughs> well, apparently that was a bit of a success. Apparently people like that. And apparently Wizards are going to do a bit more of that. However, instead of having Modern Masters 2 being announced, because clearly that's the announcement for next year, coming out the year after, they've decided to announce something for Magic Online. Because Magic Online has a lot of benefits to it, which um, Paper Magic doesn't. Namely, something to do with the restricted list not actually being a thing online. So what has been announced is Vintage Masters. So imagine all of the powerful cars from all of Magic, including the ones which are banned, they're all going to be in this cool new Vintage Masters only online thing. Now, the big cards... So I've hinted at because I've already mentioned the fact that the restricted list is not an issue for online... The Power Nine is going to be in Vintage Masters. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Uh, it's something which uh, Magic Online's been missing for, well, ever. 
that's why they don't actually have vintage and legacy online. They just have classic, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, which means that cards which aren't that expensive and paper magic are a lot more expensive online because they are the power nine of the online world. Well, anyways, we've seen the power nine before in the holiday cube, but now we're going to actually be able to keep them. It's not just going to be phantom drafts and these are going to appear in vintage masters. A bit like modern masters, um, every booster pack will have a foil in it. However, occasionally, the foil can be a Power 9 card, and potentially even more occasionally, a foil Power 9 card. That's right, you can now get foil Black Lotuses. Uh, that's just crazy. <laughs> Never ever thought I would see anything such like such as a, black, a foil Black Lotus. I mean, just... uh, if the question is, how do you get a more expensive card than Black Lotus, somehow have a foil one would be the answer. Yes. <laughs> It's gonna, it's pretty crazy. I'm, I'm wondering how expensive these are gonna be. Because obviously, there's gonna be a reasonable amount that's gonna come out. Like, now, Vintage Masters is being priced at the same price as Modern Masters, so it is $8 a booster. Yeah. And you imagine I mean, the events around it will be the same price, but. It'll be expensive, yeah. But I mean, the thing is, um, there is gonna be so much of it opened on Magic Online that it'll probably be, in terms of scarcity, a bit like a paper set that's released normally. Like, yeah. um, for example, a set like Return Travnica on Magic Online, there's so much of it going around that cards become really ridiculously cheap because everyone's just drafting all day, every day. But in paper, there's a little bit less of it. Like, some cards still have value. Um, whereas I think this will be kind of like, it will be as popular as a paper set, like there would be a, as many copies going around as if it had been a paper set in real life. So the, it'll probably have higher values, but I don't think it'll be insane. Yeah, th- this is not going to be, I'm going to sell my foil Black Lotus for 2,000 tickets or something silly like that. No, it'll be, it'll be something like foil Black Lotus, a couple of hundred tickets. That That's probably where I, I would say it would go. You never know, though. Yeah, th- <laughs> this is going to make things interesting regardless. I mean, if... if they change class. Well, I don't know. Is classic even banned these cards, saying they don't exist? Is, um, I wonder if vintage and legacy is actually going to become a thing now that they're going to have the key cards for it. Well, legacy is already on modern uh, on Magic Online anyway. It's just vintage that isn't there because it doesn't have the cards. So right. they essentially just said, "Well, classic is vintage because vintage is just every card that you've that's ever been printed. So classic is just every card that's available on Magic Online." Mm. So that's basically the distinction that's been made there. So because Classic is, I think, as far as I know, there's no ban list, um, is every card on Magic Online, then I don't see any point of it existing once Vintage is a thing on there. It yeah. might be, but it depends on if people are asking for it. It may depend what else comes out, because obviously Vint- there are more than just, say, the Power 9, which is not available on Magic Online. So there are other gaps, undoubtedly, in Vintage. Not that I'm yes. an expert or anything like that. So it may also depend how much of the key cards in Vintage is going to be re- is also going to be released in Vintage Masters. Because Vintage Masters could have cards from Theros in it, in all honesty. Like, it- Vintage is everything. So... I mean, how much of the old stuff's going to be printed? How much of this is going to be just, like, pre-8th edition masters? See, I think it's basically going to end up being um, like the cube, but slightly skewed towards older cards, because they're trying to get as many things that aren't on there already on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll have to see when they actually release the thing. But it's a cool, it's a nice thing for people who really want to play the format online and have never had a chance to do so before. Yeah. 
Now, talking about when this is released. So, Vintage Masters, Magical Mine. As we know, digital. There's no problems with printing the cards, no problems with shipping the cards, because it's just all there on your internet. And it's glorious and wonderful, and will come to you in June 2014. Yeah. yeah. Now, the reason for this, of course, is they want to get it right. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if it's also because they want to try and build some hype around it, which might be the case, um, or if it really is just that they have decided it isn't ready yet. I mean, they have said, they, they, with the success of Modern Masters, they really do want to spend a proper amount of time making Vintage Masters right. You know, they don't just want to be the whole, hey, we're releasing, you know, the Power 9 plus a whole bunch of crap cards you don't want to play with and it's not a fun format and you're literally just opening the boosters for Power 9. They want to make it something really fun to play, really enjoyable. Um so that's the reason why it's coming out in 2014. I mean, I don't know. Do they even have it like set in stone what they're going to have? I doubt it. I bet the big marquee was Modern Masters was a success. We need the Power 9 and Magic Online. Fuse the two together. And they could still be working out the kinks. I wouldn't be surprised if they're still developing. Um, yeah, I mean, they've probably got a lot more playtesting that they want to do just to see what's working in there and what isn't. Yeah. But anyways, yes, that will be coming. It's uh, June the 13th to 16th will be the pre-release events, and then June the 16th, 2014, is when it will be properly announced. Uh, not properly announced, properly released, sorry, on Magic Online. And uh, that's the news. So, um, let us move on to our main topic. As we said last episode, which I realised was uh, a wee while ago, um, we were about to head off to a Team Sealed release event for Theros, um, which we did, uh, despite my nervousness and my hesitance and my fear of letting the team down, which uh, <laughs> I think is... I think that's a big factor when it comes to teams. Um, but yes, we headed off, we did that, and uh, we also did some Two-Headed Giant last uh, Friday night uh, for Friday Night Magic, so... We're going to be talking about teamwork, uh, talking about the two events uh, in detail, and then whatever else we've picked up, you know, the team dynamic, how that works, uh, when you're working together as two parts of the same body, or when the three of you each have to sort of battle your individual components, but it is a team effort to win, ultimately, you know, that's what yeah. we're going to be talking about tonight. So, um, yeah, Glasgow's Team Sealed release event, which we went to, um, we we turned up, and there was a reasonable showing. There were eight teams, so that, there was 24 of us, and we had our own private room uh, in a local venue. The the shop itself didn't have enough room to actually host. Um, I don't I, I don't even know how they host Friday Night Magic's in it. There's not much room, is there? Yeah, it does uh, seem really small. I think there's another room through the back. Right. Um, but I'm not sure how much that adds. So I'm, I'm guessing they just maybe don't have particularly big Friday Night Magics. Maybe they only get eight players or something. So Yeah, well, with the A-teams, we ended up in a private room in a nearby pub, which is just so Scottish. But um, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the pub where they host all their pre-release events and everything like that. So pretty much any event with more than ten people seems to head in there. <laughs> right, Um. so... Plenty of room, it was well lit, plenty of room, the tables were clean, they were not sticky like you would potentially fear for, for a pub, so it was a good venue for it, and because uh, it was sort of off to one side in the pub, it was relatively quiet as well, so people could just get on with their games. Um, we sat down at our tables, and we got given our boosters, and we the timer started. Is it fair to start at this point, or is there anything you want to say before we kind of got to cracking the packs? No, I think, well, did... Did we have a strategy going in? Did we? I don't know. I don't think we really had a strategy going in. I mean, it was the case that we, the two of us, were assigned to sort of be the deck builders. 
um, because yeah. my wife who was also playing. And at this point, I mean, this is three weeks ago now, I think. Um, yeah, I she think was just right. getting back into magic, so she wasn't confident with the game in general, and especially with Theros saying she hadn't got much exposure to it. So whilst we were meant to be left building the decks, it didn't quite work out that way because you have a limited amount of time. I think we mentioned uh, last show it's about an, it's an hour you're meant to get for Team Sealed. Yeah. Um, and you know that means you got to open your packs and build three decks and also assign the sideboard because that's the other thing. Um, any cards which are left over, not in a deck, have to be assigned to an individual player sideboard. There's no sort of team sideboard which people can delve in and out of between games. You actually need to assign each of the cards to one of the three players. So that is not a lot of time within an hour to open packs, sort the cards, build the decks, build the sideboards, uh, also sleeving and just being happy with what you've got and ha- maybe having some vague strategies how each of the decks are working. Not a lot of time. No, it definitely feels pressured. <laughs> yeah, so we opened the boosters. Um, I think we sort of called out each of the rares as they opened, and our rares were pretty good, actually. I mean, we got an Elspeth, we had a Whip, a Hammer. Yep. We had an Underworld Cerberus, uh, two Reapers of the Wild. Yes, two Reapers. Which, in hindsight, probably should have both been in a deck. <laughs> and... Just a couple other reasonable rares. We had a Timurite, which is probably the, one of the worst that we opened. Yeah, there was an Anger of the Gods, I believe. Yes, there was an Anger of the Gods. I had that in my sideboard. <laughs> and nothing else is jumping out at me. Do we have a Steamogary? No, no, wait, we had a Psychic Intrusion. I remember that much. Oh, that's it. So that was probably our worst rare. <laughs> and we also had a Nykthos, I seem to recall. Yes, we did. Yeah, so... Some good cards. The Reapers of the Wild, they're pretty strong, as I learned yesterday when I was playing a Magical Mine. Yeah, I think I think we underrated them at this point. Yeah, and we didn't fall into the trap, which is, oh, look, two Reapers of the Wild, Golgari has to be a thing. But, of course, we did keep that in mind as we were building the decks. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember how we actually, what order we built the decks in, because it was a little bit haphazard. I think we're sort of trying to work out what two colours could pair together to begin with? Yeah, I think the first thing we actually done was we had white, um, and we kind of wanted to play, because we wanted to play the Elspeth, obviously. Yeah. So we started with the white, and then kind of tried to make a white-black deck, because, you know, the, that's got a couple of multicoloured cards in it and stuff like that. So we kind of put the, the cards out, but we had kind of really rubbish white early drops, a really strong black late game, and then an Elspeth. Which just kind of didn't seem to work because then we were just kind of adding a late game to deck that was missing like a good sort of middle game and a couple other sort of early drops. Um, so it just kind of was a bit mediocre. Um, but that was the first thing that we kind of looked at and, and thought would have, would have maybe been a possibility. And then I think we'd ended up splitting the two things. And then I think you started to work on the mono black. No, you didn't. We 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 looked at what was left because we figured um, that these were both quite late game things, and if we were going to have them in separate decks, we'd maybe be making an aggro deck out of what was left. Cause we had some really cheap red and blue stuff. Yeah. So what actually ended up happening is we kind of got Craig to take the red and blue stuff and see if he could make an aggro deck out of that to begin with, and then we kind of worked out what color combination we wanted to work to do between. Uh, white, green, and black. I think we ended up going with white with green, mostly because green had the creatures to fill out the curve. 
Yeah, that 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 was was that the third deck we built. It was the third deck, but we kind of had the bits of it to the side. Right. Because I think what we've done is you were working on your one, and we kind of put the white stuff to the side, and then kind of laid out the black stuff, and, and kind of wondered, could we maybe do a model black deck? And then we tried adding green to the black, and it didn't really work either, so we kind of pushed that away. And then you, at this point, I think you finished your, your red-blue deck, or, or got very close to finishing it anyway. Yeah, I think it was down to the last few picks. Yeah, so we started to look at, is there anything left that's really good in red and blue that we can maybe add? So one of these colours will play the red or the blue. And you had a few blue things. Not a huge amount. I mean, most of the things that we weren't playing in red and blue were also other aggressive cards. Um, like We had quite a few Crow and Crusaders, but we didn't really have the sort of the right cards to make a really aggressive one-drop deck. Yeah. So we ended up kind of going for a slightly later game aggro deck. And then the only thing we really had left from the color combination was a random anger of the gods, which didn't really fit in the deck because it was aggro, and about five or six reasonably good blue cards. And then because we were playing, I think, two of the return phalanx in black, we ended up kind of trying to see if adding a little bit of blue to that was enough to make it a deck. So it was almost a mono-black deck. It was just kind of missing a few playables. Like, I think yeah. we were at, I think we were at 18 cards that we were happy to play, and then one or two extra that we didn't really want to put in the deck. I think... Do we also have a Temple of Deceit? We did have a Temple of Deceit to help yeah, as well. Which also so. steered the way slightly. But yeah, the, the, the blue that wasn't in the as a deck was enough to fill in the gaps which the black deck needed. So it was... Basically mono black, but yeah. I think I made. I think I was running three blue cards, four blue cards, so it wasn't that big a splash. And then we kind of just looked at. Well, I guess we've got white and green le- left, yeah. but I think at this point, like we'd we'd kind of we were kind of trying to finalize this mono black splashing blue deck when we got told we had ten minutes left. Was it? Yeah. So. At the beginning, when, you know, when time was called, you know, open your boosters, you know, start deck building, I started the one hour timer on my phone because I knew that, I, and I kept checking it throughout the deck building because I knew that the clock, a bit like playing on Magic Online, was a big thing and it could kill you if you were not done by the time the clock was done. So yeah, when this, when it was called, it was like, oh, you got 10, 15 minutes left. I looked at the clock and it said half an hour left and I'm like, they're giving us 45 minutes for deck building. Thanks for announcing that prior to the event, you know. Thanks for letting us know that we had less time than than the default. To, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was a manic panic at that stage. Like, as you say, the black slash blue deck was basically there, and then we had to panic to sort of throw together the Selesnia deck, which ended up... It didn't have many moving parts. It was just, here's creatures which do this thing, here's spells which are pretty straightforward, there's nothing fancy going on here, it's just... Creatures and spells and there. Yeah. With the Elspeth at the end. <laughs> which, which was about the only, like, shining light, I think, in that deck, really. It pretty much was. The rest, I, I think it had a couple of Supreme, a uh, couple of Supreme, I think it had a couple of Divine Verdicts, which gave it some play at least, so it wasn't yeah. just kind of plodding guys down and hoping to attack for the win. But it didn't really have a strong early game, because the kind of things it was playing were the Leonin Snarecaster. Yeah, and there was just no way to take advantage of the sort of temple and game which you can kind of get with that. Exactly. So, I mean, you were playing it to tap down one of their guys, and then not actually attacking with anything, because you're more playing it as a blocker, so it just seemed really strange. Um, but the problem was, like, if we really wanted to play the Elspeth, then 
we kind of had to play guys at the bottom of the curve as well. So we ended up coming up with that. Um, I'm not sure if it was the right thing to do. I don't know if we had the time to work out if there was something else we could have done, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not sure if we would have... Because I know that that was the one we were least comfortable with when we finished kind of building the decks. And it was it was the least exciting by far, because it, 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 like, there was no complexity to the deck. No. So I, I don't know if that's what we would have ended up going with. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, I think it might have been worth trying some kind of three-colour deck out. Because um, I know we did have a Traveler's Amulet and a Unicorn. Uh, I don't know if we had two of either of those or anything. But... I don't think we did, and I don't think we had a heart either, so... Ah, uh, okay. So, I don't know, it might not have been right to try it, but um, we didn't really have time to consider anything else, because at this point, well, we also had... Well, we had to basically make this entire green-white deck, um, we actually hadn't quite cut the blue-red deck down. It still had 27 cards in it, I think, and we had only really finalised the black-blue deck. So there was a bit of a, a kind of panic there. So we just kind of had to throw together what we had left. Yeah, and I think the, t- the time when we were getting the, fu- the final decisions made, Dulles was just sleeping stuff up. Yeah, she was. <laughs> so, some, sometimes you just need a body, but she had. She was also... The, the point I was trying to make earlier, which I don't think I concluded, she did have to help deck build because it's just simply too much work for two people. Yeah. Like, you do need, like, three people just involved. Just... It- it just helps because, I mean, the way that we had you um, kind of building the most obvious deck, um, which meant that you could kind of just get on with that and kind of come up with a shell at least, um, whereas then it left me to build kind of a, a deck that we weren't sure where it was going to go. So having someone else there to then speak to about that one was really helpful. Yeah. Whereas if you'd been doing that and I'd been doing that on my own, it maybe wouldn't have worked out quite so well. Like I might not have kind of came up to, with the same conclusions that I ended up coming to. Or at least not as quickly. Yeah. Which is obviously a, a serious issue. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, we we built the decks. Decks were sleeved. We only had the 45 minutes for every hour. But, eh, you know, it wasn't much you could do about that. So we just had to live with it. I mean, everyone else was in the same boat anyway. So that yeah. kind of made up for it a little bit. <laughs> um, so we got... Sat down for round one. We knew that it was a uh, it was going to be three rounds of Swiss, and then a cut to the top four. Uh, sorry, cut to the top two was what it announced at the beginning, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But I don't think we were terribly worried about getting into the top two or winning this. You know, we're just going to play magic because that's the sort of the point of these events. It's not meant to be ultra competitive. I mean, yeah, we didn't really feel like our decks were strong enough to do well anyway, so yeah, we weren't worried about it at all at this point. No, um, we sat down against our first opponents. Um, I'm so bad at remembering games of magic, which is is funny because it it, it hurts for me to try to do commentary on things I've done in the past. Yeah. I remember I wound up in a quite a slow, grindy game. Yeah, they were playing green black, and you were playing your your black with splash and blue. Oh, that's another thing. Sorry, I was playing the Demir deck. You ended up with Is it, and Liz was on Celestia, and you were placed in the middle. Because figured you, there was two factors that I figured you had slightly more experience than me, and mm. the other thing is I knew I shouldn't sit next to Liz because if we start getting into a domestic argument in the middle of the game, it's not going to help <laughs> anyone. No, not really. <laughs> uh, because sometimes, unsurprisingly, we can speak tersely to one another, and that can just cause tensions to flare. So I also intentionally tried to separate myself from my wife as a just in case. Yeah. Also, I had um, the fastest step. 
So it was more likely that my game would be finished first, I thought. So it made sense for the person who's going to be most easily able to help both other people because they're finished their game to be sitting in the middle. So that was part of it as well. Yeah. So how did your game go? Like, I, yeah, I knew I was in a grindy game. I think I won mm. the first game, but it took me about half an hour to win the first game. Yeah, it did. It took a long time. Um, in, I was basically playing a mirror match against another blue-red aggro deck. Um, so it was just a really fast match. And I think in one game, it was just, I basically played a hammer of Perforos and he didn't have an answer to it. So I just overwhelmed him because if you're both playing an aggro deck, that can be pretty backbreaking. Being able to just overpower, just get extra cards when you've had to kind of try and, well, the person who's in the defensive position has had to kind of try and trade off. Um, and you just keep pumping out three threes for haste. Yeah. And given everything haste, um, can kind of, help you turn the race around very quickly because there's some creatures that shouldn't really have haste. <laughs> like you're playing three, four flyers with haste now, so it's kind of, it, it's yeah. quite strange. Um, and I think in the other game, he didn't really keep a good hand because I played turn two Vaporkin, turn three Ordeal of Thassa on it, Ooh. and that just went the whole way. Like he didn't get anywhere at all so um, I don't think he actually kept a good hand because he didn't play anything until turn 3 in an aggressive deck that's not ideal and I don't remember it being particularly good either so I'm not sure what he actually had in his hand because he only cast I think 2 spells and both of them were creatures on the ground but that game was over quite quick as well so so neither of my matches took very neither of my games took very long Liz's took a little bit longer overall but her first game was over quicker than mine was because her opponent didn't draw any land. That makes it hard to play cards. Yeah, um, I think her opponent played three land across the course of the game when Liz was playing six drops, like the Vulpine Goliath and stuff. So it was pretty quick. Um, And then in the second game, um, the girl that Liz was playing against kept asking for advice from the guy that was playing against me. Um, we were just starting game two, I think, by the first time that she asked. Yeah. And he was kind of looking at his opening hand, and he just ignored her. Um, and I thought, well, you can help her. I don't mind waiting. Our first game was over in, like, a few minutes, really, so it's not like we're short on time. Mm. But he seemed quite sort of intensely concentrated on his hand. And then this, I seem to remember this happened at least once or twice, that she was clearly looking for some input. Like, she wasn't necessarily lost in the woods, no. for reference her. Uh, but she was <laughs> looking for, you know, help. And your your opponent, the, the team captain, as it were, you know, sitting in the middle, just was just um, focused or, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think they maybe just had a different idea of how they were approaching it in terms of team-wise. I think they were mostly just kind of I think his plan was basically just to play his own game. Yeah. And he thought that that was what was happening for all three. And they didn't really kind of look at the games as a team thing. I don't know. It just didn't really... It might have just been that he was wanting to focus particularly on the game because he'd lost game one and, you know, didn't want to lose game two. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, if, if your teammate loses but you win, then at least you haven't kind of let the team down. So I, I don't know if that's maybe part of it as well. Um, but yeah, there just wasn't any kind of communication going on at all. 
and she got quite annoyed. She tilted pretty badly. Yeah, she started. Um, she made a couple of attacks that weren't good, and I think the the second or third one actually put her dead on board, which is why that game was over fairly quickly. I think had she not been attacking, um, the game probably would have went on a lot longer, and. I'm not sure who would have won in that case because obviously Liz did have a, a good late game deck with Elspeth and like a bunch of other five and six drops. But she was playing blue, so had flyers, which might have been able to kind of tip the balance in her favor. So it could have went either way, to be honest. But because of that attack, it just that was it over straight away. I gotta say, on my end of the table, I was quite glad those two games finished because I don't think the second game was particularly going my way and the big thing I was really worried about was the clock. I knew that mm-hmm. if we went to a draw, that, that's just a, not a good place to start. It's not a good idea to start on one point. Like, starting on zero points is of course worse, but starting on one point just makes all oh, the matchups terrible and it could have been we were paired up in the next two matches and I didn't want to do that. But fortunately I was sort of rescued by the teammates. Because one of the glorious things, of course, is once two games are over, or once once one side has won two games, the third game is completely irrelevant, even for tiebreakers. One yeah. of the weird quirks of um, team trios or team sealed. Although, as it happened, I don't think you were quite finished game two when time got called because you did play it out anyway. I think you were almost finished. Yeah, we did. We did decide to play it out because you know we're in the middle of a game. There's still time on the round, and other tables are playing. So we did continue, and yeah, I would have ended up. I guess I would have won, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure because certainly when time was called, um, he was ahead on the board. Um, so it would have been a case of whether you lost in five turns or managed to kind of keep going. I, I, I seem to remember I may have been stuck in four or five mana, and I'm pretty sure I had at least one sip of hemlock in half. Yeah, that's, that was the problem that you had. Yeah. Um, that was why he was ahead, because you just couldn't cast a few of your spells. So if you'd drawn land, you probably would have been okay. But, I mean, who knows what would happen in those five turns. Yeah, Because exactly. we had to obviously just kind of get ready for the next match. <laughs> yeah. Because normally you've got to kind of... Like in a, in a tournament, you could kind of find your opponent and then sit down. Whereas here, you've got to find your opponents, your team of opponents, and then try and find a table that doesn't have anyone on either side of it, which can be quite difficult because a lot of people were hanging around tables even when they weren't playing. Yeah, there was there was no table numbers at this event, so it was find a, a, ta- a, a find a table with your opposing team and then sit down and play. Yeah, wherever was and, suitable. And then you had to work out. Like, you know, who's, who's team, who's player A, B, and C, and stuff like that as well, for, for seeing. Yeah. Um, so it did take a little bit longer, so you wanted to kind of just get up and get moving as soon as the uh, pairings were announced. As well as the fact that, you know, when they shout out team names, you have to try and work out who that actually corresponds to. <laughs> yeah, cause, oh, yeah, team, team names is one of the fun things about, um, team sealed is that, you get to pick a team name, so it's not just being called, like, Craig Maggie you're playing against, you know. That's okay. I mean, it's my name. I'm used to it. But it's not quite as fun as, Team Lava Axe to the Face! <laughs> exactly. Which is what we called ourselves. We, we were trying to discuss, I think, earlier in the week, we were trying to work out what our team name was going to be, and we hadn't decided, and all of a sudden we were just asked, like, what's your team name? It's like, uh, uh, Team Lava Axe to the Face? There we go. That was fine. That was one of the suggestions. Yeah. I, I think I fired out about 20 or 30. 
I did receive quite a few suggestions from you on on Twitter. <laughs> um, some of them were terrible. Some of them were quite witty. Um, but I don't think I'm not. Did you actually suggest Team Love Axe to the Face, I'm or was that some? I think I suggested Team Love Axe to the Face. Ah, okay. Um, but yeah, there was a few that would revolved around the fact that we were judges and things like that. And yeah, there was. I was really looking for a Theros, a good Theros pun. And I couldn't come up with anything, and nobody sent me anything that was like what I was looking for. But then, when we were there, one team both had a good Theros pun for their name and had a backup name that they almost went for. The t- the name they went for was no use scrying over spilt mana, and the one that they had as another option was that's a nice deck. Thanks, I built it on Perforous. <laughs> God, oh, I remember that. I, I, they weren't too bad. I really like that team name. I, I, I would have went for the the latter name to be honest. I thought it was a little bit cooler, referencing to the the sort of main themes of well, main cards in the set. So that would have been quite nice. But unfortunately, I couldn't come up with anything. But yeah. still, it, we did have a cool name anyway. Well, we were told it wasn't a good name, but. Come on, love Axe to the face. It was. <laughs> Who cares what anyone else thinks? <laughs> if we want to be lava axes, we can be lava axes. Also, boulderful to the face would have been more set appropriate. This is true. Um, our second match, I'm again totally blanking. I can re- I remember the first one. I can remember the third one, but the second one, I'm blanking on what happened. Um. Uh, okay, so game three. No, I do remember vaguely. <laughs> I had another uh, mirror match. I was definitely playing against another mirror match in game two. It was against... We only had three matches, right? Four. Did we have four in the Swiss? Three in the Swiss. Yeah, three in the Swiss. Okay. So game in, in game two, I was against uh, another mirror match, but he kind of had a bit of a more aggressive start than I did. Um, so I was, on the, I was on the back foot for a change. And we actually both had a hammer of Perforos as well. So there were some interesting situations where we both had a hammer in play um but in games one in game one he basically just beat me down faster than i could do anything and in game two i drew my hammer and he didn't draw his and i just managed to grind him out with that which seemed strange considering we were both playing aggro game aggro decks but then game three was probably the one that ended up being the most interesting um we both had our hammers and he was the aggressor for most of the game. So I was kind of really pressured. Um, I don't think I was that low on life, but he had enough guys on board that he could overwhelm me. Yeah, um, a little bit of a negative factor. Yeah, it was just that he was going to lose um, more creatures than I would in that situation. So he would have got through damage and put me very low, but it wouldn't have quite got lethal. And so his his board built up a bit, my board built up a bit, and we got to the point where he, I only had one card in hand, and I'd actually, I was kind of doing, it's a thing that gets, sometimes gets called a reverse land bluff, um, because you've got, normally when people are playing in Magic, they have, and they draw lands, and they don't need to play them, they'll keep them in, they'll keep one in hand or two in hand, yeah, um, just to make it look like they've actually got something. So... I'd been kind of playing in such a way that I was drawing a land for the turn, playing it, and keeping one card in my hand, and it looked to my opponent like I was keeping 
the one land back and just drawing land off the top of my deck. Uh, whereas the card I had in hand was actually Griptide. So I was trying to get him to overcommit, thinking that he had a lethal attack and I had nothing in hand, um, which is what ended up happening. So he made an attack that put him dead on the crackback because we both had enough creatures that I think I had 15 power in play. So I was able to Griptide one guy and block enough to survive to then hit back for the win. And that was probably the most interesting thing that happened in the match, other than us building up boards. But um, I thought that was quite a cool thing, although it was quite funny because after that happened, about a week later, someone wrote an entire article on Channel Fireball about that exact thing. <laughs> so I thought that was quite funny. That that match, I also didn't remember, it, it showed some of the problem with t- playing Team Sealed uh when you understand the language of your opponents, because they were broadcasting pretty clearly, like the conversation between the person you were playing and one of the other teammates was pretty clear what they had, at least in a vague sense, and what, like, they, one of the guys just even said, if he's got a trick, we've lost. Yeah. And, they were, and he said it in such a way that he wasn't trying to double bluff. He was sincerely warning his, you know, friend who was playing you, be careful, you could die to any trick. And it was, it was just teleprompting, like, what was going to happen. It was giving us a lot of information and feedback that communication is quite tricky in these events because you need to be careful what you say. Like, if you say something as plain as, oh, well, I think you should totally play your um, your disciple before you play your great merchant next turn because then you'll drain for another two. I mean, if you say something as blatantly obvious as that and you're trying to bluff, then you're just giving, like, half the game away to your opponent. And that re- kind of happened in that last match. Like, they were just telling you, basically what they were fearful of, kind of what resources they had available. And, mm-hmm. you know, not that you had much to play around with, but, you know, you were able to bluff them that you Well, I mean, that's, that's why I knew that they were kind of trying to look for an all-in attack and weren't particularly... Well, that's why I knew that the guy ahead of me wasn't particularly worried about tricks. I was... It was funny, because I was actually trying not to, like, show the card to you guys, <laughs> as if, like, just in case one of you's kind of said something or yeah. just just even gave anything away as to the fact that it wasn't a land exactly um, like, like if we didn't have the poker face and we looked at it and all of a sudden i went <gasps> you know that would have been a massive giveaway that no that is not an island you have in your hand you know that is clearly a spell which will do something you know blow yeah so it was kind of it was kind of awkward like cause i couldn't obviously say anything because as soon as i start talking about a card in my hand it's i mean i could kind of talk about it in the way as if i'm trying to bluff that it's a trick but you never know how that's going to go. So I was just trying to go for the, um, just act like it's a, like it's a land. But I don't know. Like I was, I was kind of worried that something would have came away because the the three of them were watching the match and the three of us were watching the match because this was the deciding factor uh, in the in the overall team match. Um, because one of I can't remember who won. I think you won. Chris. I think yeah, I won and was lost. And was lost. So it was down to this. Um, so it was like, it was all essentially on this last thing, and I was like, please don't give anything away, please don't give anything away. Um, cause Liz did actually kind of motion towards the car, and I was just like, I just kind of shrugged, as if to be like, you know, it's nothing, and just kind of lifted it up a little bit, and, and thankfully she didn't give anything away, but I was a bit worried. <laughs> Liz has a slightly worse, Liz has a worse poker face, I mean, that's what I'm say slightly. I think I'm okay, I'm pretty good, but. Fair enough. <laughs> Liz can be pretty bad, but uh, see, I've not played. I've not really played with Liz that much, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> it could have went either way. Sometimes she's dead good. Most of the time, she's she gives enough away. 
But anyway, yeah, that, funny that you had to play your team as well as their team. Yeah, um, it was kind of unusual. Um, were you? Do you remember your match in that I, round? I genuinely Top. cannot. For some, I I can't even remember. I remember your opponent. And this is a potent, but I can't even vi- envision my guy, actually, so I can't even remember what happened with that game. I'm fairly I, sure it was another kind of mirror match, because I remember... I, I'm pretty sure I won game two very swiftly. I think I won the first game, and then the second game, he mulliganed to four or five, and then I, I think he hit two land, and that was all he played. Yeah, I think you're right. That sounds, I, I'm sure that one that your opponent did get mana screwed in that game at least once. Yeah, um... And Liz just didn't uh, manage to keep a board presence. Like, at one point she played an Essien Asp and was hoping to defend with it, um, blocked an opponent's creature, and then it got Lash of the Whipped, putting it to 0-1 so that it died. Um, and then there was another bit where she could have played something and didn't because she missed it um, because she'd already kind of decided that she wasn't going to win the game because she was quite far behind on, like, board and tempo and everything. Um, and I think she probably would have lost anyway, but that was a nail in the coffin, and that was that was that one over with. Um, and I think in another game, the other guy just played bigger creatures because he was playing green as well. So he just played bigger creatures quicker than Liz could and won that way. Yeah. So that was that over with. <laughs> but, yeah, thankfully we won the round overall anyway. Yep, so 2-0 up going into... The finals of the Swiss, I suppose you could yeah. say. Feeling uh, quite a bit better than we expected to about our decks at this point. <laughs> yeah, and then um, the announcement comes that uh, instead of a top two, there's going to be a top four because they just realised that the top two can just ID to get into the finals. Yeah. Which at the time I was just like, eh, whatever, that means we get to play more magic, that's cool, that's fine. <laughs> and then later I think Liz pointed out that actually the person who announced us their team had just lost one, so they were still trying to get into the finals. Effectively. They were in fourth. Yeah. At this point. And the other thing which then also occurred to me later on, rather than in the heat of the moment when I was too busy thinking about playing Magic, was that if you've announced something at the beginning of an event, you cannot then later change it. No. Um, it's not quite Unless judging. you have a very good reason for doing so. Yeah, it's not quite judging 101, but it only occurred to me later. So... Uh, after the whole, you got less time than you wanted, and we're going to change the end format so some of us here can get into and get, get, potentially get into the finals and win more prizes. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite as chuffed as I was at the time with that store and how they handled things. Yeah, but I mean, it, it could have easily just been a kind of one blip because we're not through there very often, so True. it's hard to say like if it's a, a a sort of ongoing problem or not. Yeah, but I'm I'm a little bit wary now. Like, if you're changing the rules in the middle of something, it's dodgy. If you do something, if you do something weird at the start, then you can go, okay, this is weird, but at least I know what's going on. But when you change mm. something in the middle, like you know, if you suddenly went, oh, instead of the top eight, we're going to do a top four. So all those IDs you made in earlier rounds have actually screwed you out of the top four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you did something like that, then that would clearly be a big problem. And just because it's adding more teams in rather than taking away teams, I think it's kind of just as big a problem. The fun other, other funny thing I think was, I don't think either of us, like either our team or their team were thinking about IDing just to get into the top two. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know who we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, oh well, it's kind of weird. Uh, I mean, if we were to both, if we were to both ID and then both play in the final, like, I don't see how that would have been a problem because, um, I was actually at game day in Edinburgh on Sunday there, 
and two people were paired in the last round, I did, and then paired, then played each other next round in the in the cut. So, I mean, that can happen. I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, I actually had kind of a similar problem when we did the M14 game day, which was very poorly attended at our, at our local store, where it ended up, I played an opponent, and then in the finals I played the same opponent. And yeah. it was like, I, I just thrashed you, I'm just about to thrash you again in two straight sets again. Um, well, I mean, it's happened before. Um, like, I've been at another, you've got a chance of playing someone in the top eight again that you've played already that day. It can always happen. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was one game day, um, it was, I think it was for Rise of Eldrazi or something. Um, it was around that kind of era. And I was playing an Eldrazi ramp deck. And my opponent was playing a kind of Venser uh, control deck. And they completely destroyed me in the Swiss. But then when I played them in the final, I actually won by quite a large margin. So it was kind of strange. It was like, I went into the final really worried because, of course, I'd already been destroyed by this deck. But it just kind of ended up working out in my favor. <laughs> so it was quite cool. Because, I mean, the problem I had was I managed to resolve an Emrakul. That wasn't a problem. But then it just got tumble magnet. So it just got tapped. <laughs> I'm like, okay, my Emrakul was useless. Great. <laughs> uh, which, when you're paying 15 mana for a creature, really isn't what you want. <laughs> no, not so much. But yeah, so I mean, it, it can happen. Um, but yeah, it did feel a little bit iffy at the time. and More so after. More so looking back at it. Yeah. So anyway, match match three. Yeah, I I think I was... I think it was, it was another mirror match. I seem to remember I was yep, against you Black. You played Black every game in the Swiss. You played against Black. Yeah, and um, <laughs> this kind of was the battle. This was the battle against the Grey Merchants. Um, I don't even know if I had a Grey Merchant in my deck. Did I have one? I think you had one. Yeah, my opponent definitely had. No, actually, my opponent had four. Only ever <laughs> saw two in any one game, but he had four. I'm pretty sure he told me. Uh, after we were done with our matches. So this was the game of trying to outlast and survive against the Grey Merchant. So keeping my removal back to basically kill something just as a Grey Merchant was resolving in order to reduce what the drain was going to be. You know, because he was playing Disciples of Fenex, which are sort of, that is the one-two punch. It's Disciple of Fenex, Grey Merchant, you're draining for four plus whatever else is on the board. Yeah. So it was keeping back removal spells to kill, you know, the Grey Merchant as it came into play, kill the Disciple of Fenex, um, if that was just a bit easier, just to, just to lower the Black Devotion. And that was basically the game I seem to remember playing. Yeah. Did you win that one? I think I did actually, but I'm not entirely sure how. I mean, I had, one match I'm pretty sure I won using Erebos's Emissary, um, which I'm so glad I tried playing and using in the first round because I didn't actually read uh, Erebos's Emissary properly. So this is the <laughs> one which gets plus two, plus two when you discard a creature card. Yeah. I had previously read that as discard a card. Yeah, me too. So I'm pretty sure I won one of my games by having Erebos's Emissary, I think possibly bestowing a Blood Toll Harpy and then ditching two or three creatures in order just to get lethal in the air, because it was unblocked and he clearly didn't have a trick left in hand. So I'm, I'm sure I won one of my games that way. I can honestly remember how I won the second game. I'm not quite sure which one came in which order, but I won 2-0 again, I seem to recall, um, which was definitely surprising, because he, he should have outlasted me, but I think I just ended up bestowing onto things he couldn't really handle. Yeah. Because I did have... I had 
two emissaries. Did I have two Baleful Eidolons? And I think maybe even a Thassa's emissary. Yeah. I uh, had, you definitely had two Baleful. And I definitely had two uh, Erebos emissaries. I'm not mm. 100% sure on the Thassa one, but... No, I'm not sure. Um, I did have Bestow going on, and I'm pretty sure it was Bestow in that game which won me it. Uh, no, you did have a, a Thassa's emissary because it was a foil. Because I remember, I remember getting it at the end when we split our rares. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it, somehow, somehow you, you lasted, outlasted and won. <laughs> yeah. Just, you were just making bigger monsters with, with Bestow, basically. It's like, you can drain me, but I'm just beating you down with big things, you know. Yeah. I'm not getting Two fours standing in the way of my 7-7, seven, seven. good luck. <laughs> Probably not going to work out for him. Especially when it flies. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, in that match, I was against what felt like it was an aggro deck, uh, which had, it was blue-white, and it had, the main card I remember was Daxos of Miletus. Ah, yes. Um, in fact, it was Esper. So, yeah, there was more to it. But yeah, it had Daxos, because it played Daxos in game one, which hit me, and he didn't have mana to cast the thing that revealed and then I managed to grip tide it, and then I grip tied it again. And over that time, I'd been kind of beaten down with a vaporkin and just like getting some damage in. So it got to the point where he just he'd not drawn any more land. He was stuck on three plus the Daxos, so he didn't really have anything else to play instead. So he was forced to just play the Daxos again, and it traded off with a ground creature, um, and I was still attacking in there. So I ended up just winning, you know, from damage in there. But then in game two, uh, he'd managed to kind of get more of a control start. And he'd actually, <laughs> it got all the way to the point where he played a Hythonia the Cruel. And I was like, okay, I don't think I can, I can beat this card. Um, if it ever gets the chance to, you know, monstrous. Cause if I've only got one creature out, he's just going to not monstrous and kind of just hit me back with his stuff. And then if I start putting more on the board, he can monstrous at any time, even during my turn. Um, so it just felt like there wasn't much I'd be able to do against that card. Um, however, I Voyages ended it the first time um, because I had two mana open and then untapped from a turn, played a creature and attacked with the one I already had out. And then the thing, the, the Voyages end had actually, the Scry had revealed a Griptide. So I, was quite, I, fe- I felt quite safe then. So I got the Griptide and then I Griptided the, when he played it again and then I drew another Griptide the next turn. And it just felt kind of mean. <laughs> yeah. That so was a bit I had I had uh, Hithonia cast against me three times in one game and not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was interesting. <laughs> I don't think I've done that before. And you'll never do it again. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, that was it. Was a strange deck that I was played against. Kind of Esper early, early aggro and then back it up with stuff like Hithonia. But it seemed to work for me in the other games, obviously, because the team had won two rounds already. Yeah. Um, and I don't really remember what happened with Liz's one. I think it was, again, a case of her early drops weren't enough. Like, she just got I, overwhelmed. I think she was still playing when we finished both of our matches. Yeah. I, I, I think she was... I'm pretty sure she lost the first game. I think she was winning the second game when we actually... When we finished our matches. Uh, the, the problem with Liz's deck was simply it just didn't have any flex to it, and it yeah. was uh, it was by far the weakest of the three. Yeah, if you didn't get the things in the right order, then you weren't doing much. Yeah. 
Anyway, so we, we three owed the Swiss. Yeah. Achievement been unlocked. <laughs> Unfortunately, then, we had to deal with this top four, not the top two, so we can just thrash the people we had just thrashed. Yeah. And uh, unsurprisingly, we weren't paired up with the team we just played against. No, we were paired up because we were in first place at this point. We were paired up against the team in fourth. The team which also included the person who announced that it was going to be a top four. Yes. <laughs> not bitter in the slightest. And it's quite funny because in that, in these matches, um, once we'd sat down and kind of started playing, it was kind of like their seating arrangement had just been completely different from everyone else's. Because everyone else had kind of went for almost an identical kind of seating arrangement with the style of decks. Like, everyone had the grinder deck playing you, yeah. everyone had um, their aggro deck playing me, and then everyone had just what they were left with playing Liz, uh, which was quite funny. But then this team had put Something that was basically Liz's deck, but with a lot more good cards. Like, it had way more potential to curve out and just kind of get there from aggro, but with bigger creatures than I was presenting, because, you know, I'm playing blue-red. Um, and it was just like playing turn four Nessie and Asp, and I'm not able to do much against that, to be honest. Um, and it just felt like I was kind of glad I hadn't played that matchup all day, because it felt horrible. And I feel like it was mostly this, the, the matchup that lost me that. And, you know, if their seating had been like everyone else's, we'd have had much more chance. Yeah. So I ended up playing against your deck. Yeah. I was playing against, um, I think it was on the pro tour. They called it Scry and Fly. Um, it's, <laughs> it was Spellheart Chimera after Spellheart Chimera paired with Lightning Strike, Magma Jet, Voyager's End, Griptide. Uh, pretty sure he was running a Stymied Hopes or two. So, <laughs> you know, just deal with anything I'm trying to play whilst playing the spell Harkheimera, which is just getting bigger and bigger in the air, and, oh, do you not have anything which blocks in the air? That's nice, you're dead, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure it got up to, like, a 9-3 at some stage. A 9-3 Flying Trample, when you don't have any flyers, is pretty hard to deal with and doesn't give you much time to deal with either. So no. I lost in very quick succession in those two matches. The matchup just seems to be ridiculously bad for you. <laughs> like, I need to go long. Yeah. And I was not given any opportunities. I think if I'd been playing against that deck and you'd been playing against the one I was playing against, you would have done quite well because it was mostly just playing creatures that you were going to be able to kind of block on the ground. Mm -hmm. So. I think it would have went quite differently. <laughs> um, and I can't remember, again, I can't really remember what Liz was playing against, but I would assume that from what's left, it would have been some kind of deck like yours. Uh, Certainly it would have been black, because that was the colour that wasn't in either of the other two decks. And not playing a colour at all, when you've opened 12 boosters of cards, you'd have to have gotten pretty unlucky in what you opened in that colour. The, the annoying thing about that game was, at one stage, I was almost dead. And normally when you're almost dead and you have a grey merchant in hand, you're like, I can buy myself a turn. It wasn't even the case in that match I could buy myself a turn with a grey merchant. It was just putting my life total up slightly higher, but he was still going to kill me. Yeah. That's depressing. You know something's gone wrong, grey merchant doesn't buy you an extra turn. Because just no black things on the board, because they don't got rid of them before they either hit the board or after they hit the board. So Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, that was, that was, I'd say it was grueling, but really it was is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Magic pun! <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, it was weird, because the decks, uh, it almost feels like rock, paper, scissors with those three decks, because those were the three most common decks across the entire day, was a black grounded deck, a blue-red aggro deck, and then some kind of just white-green mid-range 
kind of aggro deck uh-huh. uh, with slightly bigger creatures. And that was kind of like, we saw that almost every round, and it was mirror matches almost every round. Yeah, it was, it was always rock versus rock, paper versus paper. Yeah, versus paper. And, it, and it did just feel like once that got switched around, it changed everything. Yeah, because they, they had their rock, papers, and scissors organized in the right you know, way. Yeah, because I mean, like, the black deck basically beat the green kind of dude's deck, which usually beat the black-red deck, which could beat the black deck. So it was kind of weird. Yeah, so, um, yeah, our our flight in the top four ended in the semifinals as we got yeah. beat by... <laughs> But I mean, it wasn't all bad. I mean, we we did better than I think we expected. I don't think we had yeah. any. I don't think we had any expectations, either negative or positive, going in. I think we were just no, like, not really. Eh, play magic, do as well as we will do, and open whatever we'll open, and you know things will just play out the way they were. So I think we did better than expected, having had no real expectations at all. Yeah, well, I mean, we finished third, which out of eight is a pretty respectable position, I'd say. Yeah. Um, of course, <laughs> I we should have finished first, because it should have been a top two, and we would have beaten our opponents again, but... Well, you never know. Could have went the other way, so we should have been at least second. Yeah. We'll say that. <laughs> but it wasn't actually too bad overall. The, not having enough time was a bit annoying, but and if everybody built their decks in the same way, it, I feel like we... I wonder, you've played more... Team Seal, does it always end up with like aggro mid-range control as the three sort of decks just because, you know, those are the three main archetypes? Mm, and Not always. I think that it's sometimes the case that there's just no control deck, um, but there's kind of always one fast aggro deck. Almost always. Yeah. I, I don't think I've played a Team Sealed game where there hasn't been a fast aggro deck on both, on both teams somewhere. Um, but sometimes the other two decks are both just kind of trying to play the bombs that they opened because the aggro deck usually just has to streamline itself. So yeah, okay, there might be some cheap aggressive bombs, but on like overall, they're usually they're a bit more expensive and kind of need to fit into more mid range strategies. So the other two decks often end up both being mid range decks that just try and play whatever bombs you have opened. That's kind of what I've noticed more often. And it just purely depends on what cards you open as to whether there's a control deck or not. Often the removal just gets split between the decks in some kind of even way so that everyone's got access to it. Whereas if you're going to have a control deck, it usually needs to get like the lion's share of all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the last team sale I played um, in the same place, which was the M14 one, um, I did play against a really good control deck in one round, which had opportunity and planar cleansing and stuff. So... If you open the right things, then it's it's a deck that's available, but it just doesn't always make it in the team just because, you know, you need a more specific set of cards. Okay, so you're not necessarily going in with role players, you know, trying to fill in your three spots within the team? I wouldn't say so, because, I mean, the other problem is as well, if you're kind of going for that, just going for a control deck, an aggro deck, and a mid-range deck, you're then kind of just trying, almost trying to put yourself into rock, paper, scissors <laughs> because that's almost how that works out. I mean, yeah, okay, it's not a, a certainty that your control deck's going to beat your mid-range deck, your mid-range deck's going to beat your aggro deck, and your aggro beats control, but that is where it kind of tends towards. So putting yourself in that position means that it, the seating could just make or break everything. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think if you've got two mid-range decks and an aggro deck, you've kind of just got more chance of just having games that decide things. Yeah, I suppose uh, if you're forcing the the particular team rules, it's just as bad as forcing particular colours. It is, yeah. Um, I mean, try to make a control deck out of a pool that doesn't have the stuff available is just not going to work. 
Yeah, a little bit pointless. But I think the the main thing is that I actually felt like we worked quite well as a team. Yeah, I think we were talking a lot. Like, I think most of the advice I was needing was to do with mulligan decisions. That's and true. <laughs> the interesting thing I learned about this deck was that if I had four or more land, it should have been a snap keep. I'm not yeah. sure that... It, it was probably more my draws just ended up that way, but generally I needed quite a lot of black mana to pump out my bestow creatures and the grey merchant and stuff like that. And if I had four more land, I probably should have just kept it and I would have probably just done me f- fine. Yeah, I mean, you've always got the chance of just keeping going land. And I don't think you'd ever keep a seven lander. <laughs> well, yeah. Although I know sure. that after the event you were saying that that would have been a temptation. <laughs> I, yeah, after the event I probably would have kept a seven land hand if I ever saw one. <laughs> uh, it would really literally been four more land, at least two of them are swamps. I mean, the problem was that you did actually just struggle to get your sixth land drop in so many games. I think that skewed you towards it. And I think what had, I think I may have had two sip of hemlocks, and I think the bestow cost for the Erebos emissary is also six. Yeah. Uh, um, just double checking. Yeah, it is five and a black. So yeah. yeah, six mana for my removal for my emissaries, which just make things a bit hard to deal with, because of course there's always that, do I have the creature card? Don't I? You know. Mm. Um, I mean, the other thing, how many land were we playing in that deck? Was it 18? I was running 17 land. Yeah, I think it should have probably been an 18 land deck. I think that's where the, the thing is, Possibly. the difference. Maybe. Um, but I, I did need, I need a reasonable amount of early, of blue and early game blue, because I did have two, um, oh, what do you call them? The Return Phalanx. Yeah, uh, yeah, the three threes which can attack for yeah. four and a blue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I mean, you, you're not always wanting to attack with them early. No, no, they are pretty good just as 3-3 defenders. Yep, just kind of clog up the ground a bit. Yep. Give you some game against, like, kind of heroic aggro decks and stuff. Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, it, I think that's something I maybe would have changed. I maybe would have put an extra land in that deck. But it was quite weird. Like That was the main thing that you were asking. Um, I mean, that's the main thing that we were all kind of checking with each other. Um, just... Do you think just to sort of verify things that seemed like iffy decisions? Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of important that you don't kind of ask for permission to do things. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what I noticed some people doing is like um, asking for permission to make a play that they wanted to make and they thought was the right play anyway, just because you know there were other choices. Yeah, because it's not. It shouldn't be the case that one person is playing two games. I mean, I don't think you've got the mental capacity to really play two games properly. Yeah, not not in, not keep track of everything. Yeah, anyway. exactly, because you're, you're just going to miss out on like, oh, I returned, you know, that card to your hand and I probably should have remembered about it. I mean, someone like that's going to slip through the cracks and yeah. you've got three you're, brains there for a reason. Yeah, so you've got you've got to kind of I think the thing is you've got to just let everyone kind of play their own game ask when something particularly iffy comes up or something that you know, it's just a quick is this generally better than this here and stuff like that? And is this a mulligan? Because you don't need to know as much to know whether something's a mulligan or not. Like, you're not having to read a complex board state and then go, oh, in that case, you do this. Um, it's just, are these good enough cards based on how fast your opponent's deck is, usually? Yeah, if you're going to ask about a particular situation, you're going to have to do something like, I'm on four, he's on seven, I've got these cards in hand, I'm thinking of playing this one, what do you think? Yeah, and I mean, that that came up. Yeah, you need, but ideally you want to compact as, uh, all the relevant information and only the relevant information to a shorter period of time because 
you don't have time to get a, look at the hand, look at the board, look at the opponent's board, look at how many cards they've got in hand, you know, figure this out because um you do have to still play at a reasonable pace. Like just because it's a team game, you can communicate any time you want. If yeah. you're holding up your game for two or three minutes, Judge should be going, slow play, I need you to make a play. And if you suddenly also need to go from I'm trying to work on your game to I'm trying to work on my game and I need to make a play and there's a judge looming over me, you still need to play at a reasonable pace. Yeah, so it's, you it's can't not be gonna work out very Although, of course, because this was, you know, a release event, there was quite a lot of leniency, you know, when, when, when you saw your opponent leaning over to try to get information, you'd lean over to the person next to you and try to work out what's going on with their game to see if you can help them, you know. Yeah. So you use that time to try and just, you know, reduce as much of the sort of downtime as you can within the match. Yeah. Unlike Um, what happened at the beginning, at the end of the first game where you and your opponent had finished and then you started talking to one another and I was just like, oi, pay attention, you know. (laughs) Two of us are still trying to play games here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, at that point, I think Liz's game was almost over. So, and, and he wasn't really helping her out, and Liz wasn't asking me for anything. So I'd kind of just zoned out a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need to be careful about that. Yeah, um, I mean, that's that's another thing as well. Just like remember that, yeah, I've got two other people there, and if they are going to ask you for advice, you want to kind of respond rather than just focus in on your game and ignore everything that's happening around you, which some players do do. And I often do that in non-team events as well. I remember if you're on the end and you're finished, you are allowed to then move over to the other end of the table and help the person on the opposite side of the team captain if you want. Sometimes it does depend. Mm. Um, When I played in the Team Field side event at GP London this year, um, we weren't allowed to stand up at all Uh or move seats or anything like that. Um, You had to stay in your seat until the round was over or until you're all three of your matches were over. Or, you know, you had a definitive result. Because uh, in Cardiff, which I, which was also Team Steel, which I was judging, you were allowed to do that. Like, you're allowed to move over, and there wasn't, there was really not much space to move. Like, I remember GP London, there was less room for, like, maneuverability at yeah. Cardiff. But you were allowed to move. The important difference is, you're allowed to get up and go around to your, like, your, your uh, teammate and then give advice. But if you walk away from the table... You are not allowed to then return and start giving advice because that is then outside information because you've left the game. There's nothing stopping you from necessarily, you know, walking. Going and asking someone else or something. (laughs) Or just stepping behind your opponents and looking at their cards and then stepping around the table again and going, by the way, you know, he's got a portent of, you know. uh, (laughs) I mean, obviously, that's why if you step away from the table, you can't then return and start saying anything. You're allowed Mm. to come back and sit and do nothing, I think, but it's probably best if you just stay away until the match has ended. So, yeah. Even I for think... something as silly as a bathroom break, which of course, while you're going to the bathroom, you're not really thinking, oh, I'm going to then go get information from them, you know, but you, you can't never. come back and then sit down and start chatting away like you ha- nothing's happened because you could have done something. So, just something to be aware of, but I'm sure nobody's going to try to cheat because, mm. I mean, this is a, well, I suppose this, the you have GPs, which are team format, but... Well, this this was just a side event, and it it was. I think it was mostly due to the lack of space, and yeah. the fact that if you were to start moving the chairs around, there was it was already very narrow between the long tables for someone to walk through it. So if you were kind of to move your chair around, and then it's obviously going to be sitting a little bit further out from the table because you can't fit it under where the leg is. Yeah. Then it's going to be basically impossible for people to get past. So I think that was a major consideration in why they done it. Yeah. Um, and they also didn't want kind of people standing up and going behind because you know if if you're standing up, you've got a decent chance of perhaps seeing cards on the other side of the board you're not supposed to. Yeah, true. 
So I think it was mostly a logistics thing rather than a r- normal rule. Yeah. Because um, in the other two, you know, you've been allowed to do whatever you want, basically. Yeah, it kind of surprised me at Cardiff where, you know, literally chairs were back-to-back, and I think London was very similar, but not quite. It was pretty close. I, I remember you could actually squeeze between the tables at London, whereas in Cardiff you couldn't, but you could still do it in Cardiff, but eh, it, just, it just depends. Yeah. I suppose you should probably ask, but yeah, definitely stepping away from the table and coming back is a big no-no, just as a heads-up, should you ever end up taking part in a team event. Yeah. Also, if you do that in two-headed giant, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, you are kind of doing it wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know where you'd be wanting to go. Just maybe kind of look at the board from a different angle or something. <laughs> get, get a new perspective on the board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the other thing that, of course, is a big thing when you're doing a team event and, you know, you've got prizes is... And, of course, the pool, which has all these rares in it, is how do you kind of split the cards at the end? And I've heard a lot of different ways of doing it, to be honest. Um, some people keep track of each player's game-win percentage and then use that as a deciding factor to see who gets pick, first pick, second pick, third pick, and then just draft all the rares that were opened. Right. Um, but we didn't really want to do that because we didn't want to kind of make it competitive to each other as well as, you know, trying to play the games. Um, Because team events already have kind of that extra bit of competitiveness because, you know, you don't want to let your team down. So everyone kind of plays a lot more seriously than you normally would. Indeed. Um, So we didn't want to introduce that to it as well and just kind of make it even more. So we ended up just going for a we'll work it out at the end, (laughs) which probably worked out better than it would for some people. Yeah, we had the time at the end to work stuff out, and it, it also just it doesn't bring any. You don't have to worry about anything whilst you're playing your games. Yeah, I mean the other thing that the way that we done it is we went back to years afterwards, and then we opened up all the boosters, and then put the rares on the table. So you weren't having like people get boosters which had potentially completely different values. Yeah, it's when you go, oh, I'll take the Elspeth, and then you open the booster and go, oh, Elspeth. Yeah, you've got two Elspeths. Oh, oh you've only got the, the Scry Lad. So, well, i got two Elspeths, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the way that we ended up doing it was, I mean, there's obviously three of us. Um, we opened up a second Elspeth, which helped. <laughs> yeah, that, that made it easy to work out who was getting what, saying yeah. I share a collection with my wife, so. Yeah, so we basically said, right, I'll take an Elspeth, you guys take an Elspeth, and then you guys take cards equal to an Elspeth. Yeah, and so that's us. That's us. Kind of solved the big problem, which is you know these are the two clearly more expensive cards than anything else here. So I think you took like four Scrylands and a, and a Nykthos. Uh, three Scrylands and Nykthos and the Underworld Cerberus. I think it was. Yeah, I think that might be right. Yeah. Um. So I mean, after that, to be honest, there wasn't anything particularly valuable on the table. Like it basically took all the other reasonably valuable cards to make up. The Elspeth. Yeah. Um, so we ended up doing that, and, I mean, you guys kind of said something about feeling bad because I was getting one card and you were getting, like, seven or eight or something. <laughs> but, you know, it works out. It's fair. And then we just ended up just drafting the rest because there wasn't much in it. Like, no, I think there was, like, and... there was three or four cards that were worth about three or four pounds, like Anger of the Gods, uh the hammer at the time and the whip was also about that at the time. Yeah. And um, whip's now like a pound odd, but still, in fact, it's probably went up again, but yeah. So, I mean, they were all fairly even values. So we just rolled for it and then drafted them from then on. And that worked out fairly, fairly well. 
Yep. But I don't think I would normally, it would depend on who I was there with. But a lot of the time I wouldn't want to say, let's just work it out at the end because depending on what you open, some people can kind of change how they feel about things quite a lot. Yeah. And if someone, if there's only one Elspeth and someone really wants it and the other guys kind of want it as well, it ends up being a, it kind of ends up going with one person kind of pressure and the other is going, oh, I really want the Elspeth. Give me the Elspeth. You take what you want and give me the Elspeth. And then, like, it ends up not working out fair in some way anyway. Yeah, so. you may end up just with drags as what's left and. Exactly. The Elspeth like, is the correct choice, not just for, I'm really excited about this card, but it's just clearly better than, like, the rest of the pool combined. Yeah. I mean, if we'd came last, and we hadn't got any prize boosters, I'm not sure if there were prize boosters for last, then we would have had an Elspeth, a, an Underworld Cerberus, two Scrylands, and a Nyxos, and that, and then everything else was kind of a lot less valuable. So, I'm not sure how well that would have split up, because... The Elspeth is going to be more than a third of the value of everything there. Yeah. So we would have had to kind of then bring money into it or other cards for trade and it just gets kind of really awkward. So unless you're very good friends with people that you're there with, it's probably a good idea to work something out before you go. <laughs> yeah. As it was, it makes sense. It just wasn't consideration here because it's like, it's you and I think we're probably good friends. I mean, we do podcasts together. Yeah. Kind of need to get along, just have a conversation for this length of time. And also, my wife, I, I, I kind of trust her at this stage. Well, and, I mean, you guys were, uh, kind of collecting the same things. So, it didn't matter too much. It was more just, which third of this pool am I going to get? <laughs> yeah. And then what are you two keep being left with? So it worked out okay. But yeah, I think that's pretty much everything from the team sealed. Oh no, one more thing. One more thing. They didn't have any real ale in stock. My favourite thing about that pub, and they didn't have any real ale in stock. I was gutted. Uh, uh, no, no comment. <laughs> I was, of course, designated driver, so... Yeah, so you didn't have that option. <laughs> no, no. But as good as Guinness is, it's not quite real ale, sadly. Anyway, yeah, that that's me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so what about the two-headed giant? Like, um, it, There's not as much to say about that, really. No, um, now, we did a two-headed giant draft, yes. which is a little bit different from Sealed, um, because obviously with Sealed, you're just trying to t- decide the two decks. I mean, you can kind of think of it just like how we decided the three decks, except for only two decks, slightly less cards. Yeah. With a draft, it makes it weird, because you can do stuff where you're like, I'll take two cards, like, well... Okay, so actually, we don't know how a two-headed uh, giant draft goes, because those are less prevalent than sealed. Yeah. It's like a regular draft, except for you and your partner pick as a team. You're picking for the team, so any card picked can go to either of the decks. Um, there is a shared sideboard, so you don't have to worry about that. And also, you open one of the six boosters for the team, rather than one of the three boosters for the player, and then you take two cards. Yes, which is... Obviously, a lot more and gives you way more options in terms of like sometimes you know you get a pack and it's like I want all of these, so it lets you at least take two. <laughs> yeah. So there's still eight people around the table, partners sitting next to each other, and there's still the same amount of boosters in the pool, but each team has six. So and so it goes left, right, left, right, left, right. Um, but you are double picking, so that's good. And because you're not picking for like you're not going like this is for this deck, this is for that deck. You can do like sort of the ah. There's two really good black cards here. Let's take the two really good black cards for the black deck. And then next booster, you may go, ah, there we go, green-white. That's what we want for the other deck. Take those two. I mean, you don't have to kind of 
pick one for this deck, one for that deck, which does allow you to like get combos, you know, because sometimes yeah. there's two cards which are like, those two cards work really well together. You can take both of those cards, you know. Exactly. And it also, with the the fact that in a normal draft, sometimes you'll get cut in one direction from your deck. So in this case, what you can do is if one deck's getting cut from passing to the left, then you'll just pick up cards for the other deck in that pack. And then kind of focus on your, on your first deck in the other, in the other direction. Cause there's three in each direction. So you're essentially doing a full draft in each direction. So that changes things quite a bit. Um, signaling is a little bit weird because you, each team is probably taking at least three colors. You know, if somebody's going for the, a standard two color deck, somebody's pushing mono in Theros, for example. Yeah. Generally, signals are a bit harder to pick up on because I'm taking four of the five colors. Now, if everybody's taking the same four or five colors, then you may go, oh, look, red's really open. And I think, actually, red was really open when we were doing it. It was, yeah. Um, but generally, you're not going to be able to go, oh, the people next to us are taking, like, blue and white. Because they're not going to be taking mm. blue and white. They're taking blue, white, red, and green. You know, or exactly. maybe they're taking all five colors and they're going to play three and three color and two color, or they just haven't decided yet and they're just taking the good cards, you know, because you got a lot of reasonable amount of time to figure out where you, what you're doing because, you know, you got six well, boosters still. That is a good thing that, you know, you're more likely to be able to pick up a card if it's good. It's, it's a bit different from a normal draft in that most of the time you're just looking for what the best two cards in the pack are and taking them. Because I'll fit like, in one of the two decks. Yeah, I mean, odds are you're not going to be playing one color. Like, that's probably the most likely. Sometimes you won't play two colours, but most of the time you're just not playing one colour because it gives you more options. Um, so if, if once you get rid of a colour, like once you decide you're not playing one colour, it's really easy to then just take the best cards in the other colours to a point, then you kind of just work out what are you missing in terms of mana costs in each deck and just try and make sure you're not only building one deck and then going, right, okay, so this deck's like got 30-odd playables, and the other deck has 15, because that's going to be a problem. One of the things I remember from doing the previous two at a giant draft we did, um, sometimes you go about going, okay, um, this, this was actually during the return, I think it was during Gatecrash, so we started building a Demir deck, me and my partner, Ben, and uh, we were building Demir, building Demir, building, actually, sorry, we are building Simic, we were building Simic, 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 and then we got quite a lot of good black cars, and we are like, not sure what we're doing with black, are we going ours off? No, we're trying ours off, but I don't think we saw the white. You can then just swap the colours around and mix and match the decks in a different way. So we yeah. ended up playing, like, Demir and Simic. Like, we were only actually <laughs> taking the blue cards for the Simic deck, but in the end we were like, actually, let's just make this a Demir deck, let's just draft the three colours, and, you know, we can we can just pl- play around with who's getting what blue, but clearly you're getting all the green, you're getting all the black will fight over the monocolored blue. So, yeah. So, whilst you may be thinking, oh, I want, you know, a Selesnia deck and, uh, is it deck, you may end up going, well, actually, we want a Boros deck and a Simic deck, you know? So you can play around with the colors. Obviously, the multicolored cards you can't play around with, but I think we saw some multicolored cards, uh, multicolored cards sort of push us in one direction and we were able to sort of veer away and around it because, you know, I think we first picked what, uh, Triad of Fates, and I don't think we're entirely sure we're going to be playing uh, Orzhov throughout the entire thing because you can't swap yeah. the colours around. It's like, well, there's only that one multicoloured card which we've got to kind of push us in the way of Orzhov, so. Yeah. I mean, we were lucky that we managed to settle into our two colour combinations fairly early. Yeah. Like, I think it was probably around the second pack 
um, somewhere around the second or third pick in the second pack that we had decided, not definitively, but we decided on two decks, which was a black-white deck and a red-green deck. And I don't know if it's exactly what you were thinking, but the main reason I wanted to play the black-white deck is for Scholar of Athreos, because in Two-Headed Giant, that guy's pretty nuts. Oh, yeah. That's not quite going to all the Two-Headed Giant glory that you can get, but black does get all the nice stuff. I mean, Orzhov had all the nice stuff, so... Yes. Um, I mean, we can touch on the fact that the... Devotion cards in black and red are particularly strong because... It's each opponent. It's each opponent. Yeah. So both the Fanatic of Mogus and the Grey Merchant are pretty insane. Indeed. Um, so that was kind of what I had in my mind when we were kind of taking this. The Orzov stuff is, can we see if we can get a few of this card? See, I, I remember we had an early scholar and I was just like, one of the things is, I quite like having the grindy deck because if it just goes long and it just ends up in a board stall, which is maybe a bit easier thing to do in a giant because there's a lot of more creatures on the board and yeah. it's hard to work out the maths that just having something which is just like deal two, heal two, deal two, heal two seems like a good card to have. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's more likely to be a board stall just because it's so much harder to have an aggro match because you need to have two aggro decks to be able to actually just go all out on someone. Yeah. If one of your decks is aggressive, then they have two decks worth of resources to slow it down. So you, not, you really need to have both being in your face aggro to be able to kind of push it over. It's kind of like, if you're going to be aggressive, then it tends to be more of a mid-range aggressive style with just bigger creatures. Yeah, which I think we actually faced in the first match. We faced something like that. Uh, we actually faced a, a very aggressive list in the first match. Yeah. Um, it was basically all two drops. <laughs> all two drops all the time. Can I say one thing before we move on to actually playing our games? Is um, We got a Underworld Cerberus and a Foil <laughs> Underworld Cerberus. Now, you yeah. may notice when we're talking about colours, uh, well, this is one of the reasons we were... I was talking about how you can mix colours, because, you know, it's like black and red. We put black and red together, we can play both Underworld Cerberuses. That's McSlesnia a deck and Rakdos a deck. But we didn't end up doing that. We ended up just splashing to play the Underworld Cerberus, but it's good mm. that he got that flexibility. It's just like, mm. try the Fates versus two Underworld Cerberus. Hard to argue, but then when you look at the deck, it's like, ah, I'll just splash it. Yeah, it worked out better. Because, I mean, you had a fairly slow deck that was able to stall out the game a little bit, and I was obviously helping with my sort of mid-rangey creatures. Then that kind of helped. Kind of funny that actually the one time I could have played it, the Underworld Cerberus, I didn't want to, because if it died, it would have actually been a bad thing. And then I didn't throw it in any of the other games. So I had, I think I was running both actually, Mm. because they're quite hard to deal with really, but I didn't end up playing either of them. Uh, The other thing was actually near the end of pack two, um, when we kind of had this red green thing on it, uh, kind of going, I was like, red is quite open, so I don't think anyone else is playing red green. I really hope someone opens the Polis Crusher because we're almost certainly going to get past it. Yep. And we did get past one, so that was quite nice. Was <laughs> indeed, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I hope we get the rare in those colours. A pack later or so. Oh, nice. <laughs> that was quite cool. Um, it did mean that we got a very late um, artifact destruction spell as well. The red green one. Uh, destructive revelry. Yeah, destroy target artifact or enchantment, deal two damage. That was that was quite nice to get late because 
the other thing is sideboard cards become well you don't have a sideboard but sideboard cards become a lot more main deckable because you're against two decks so they're more likely to be relevant also of course the one thing we both i think did we both forget about this i think we did yes um when you're playing two-headed giant, it's actually a best of one event. There are no cyborgs because you don't have any opportunity to cyborg. Exactly. Um, which, yeah, it was funny when we were during the draft, we kept mentioning cyborg cards, which we weren't thinking about. It was only after we started round one, we were like, oh, by the way, it's a best of one because, you know, two-headed giant games can go really long. Yeah. Um, and, well, there was a little bit of fallout for that, but let's just ignore that. But yeah, there, are, there is no cyborging because there's, there's no, there's no game two. No. But it means you can a lot more safely put something in your deck that doesn't necessarily affect every other deck. Um, we had a few things. We had Hunt the Hunter, um, which is a green sort of self-hate card. Yeah. We had Dark Betrayal, which is a black self-hate card. And then we had um, Destructive Revelry, which kills enchantments or artifacts, and also the white one, Ray of Dissolution. Yeah, um, I think we, we picked up, up a fade of antiquity as well. Yeah, we which didn't run it. We ended up not playing, so we played. We ended up in the end just playing the white enchantment removal and the destructive revelry. Um, but it wouldn't have necessarily been that weird to play either the dark betrayal or the hunt the hunter because if you're playing against two decks, probably covering four colors, most of the time it's going to be a good card, and it's enough of a strong card, especially when it's like pay one kill something that it's probably worth it in a lot more situations so if you end up having to main deck one it's not really that bad yeah we just cut it because we didn't need to main deck it so there was no point in it being dead yeah we, we didn't run dark patrol or hunt the hunter did we no we ended up cutting them both at the last minute like they were the last cuts in each deck i think yeah i was a bit on the fence because yeah one mana kill a black creature i mean that's especially good when you're getting rid of you know the gray merchant or just as the gray merchant comes in get rid of the um Disciple of Fenax. Yeah. But yeah, ended up just basically being the 24th card in the deck. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I don't, do we want to really mention the games? I don't think there's anything in particular to mention. It's just. No, not really. Yeah, it's just the key points of drafting is a little bit different. It is best of one and aggro is a lot harder to pull off. Yes. And maybe it was three. It, I, sorry. There's maybe three of the takeaways from that. Yeah, I'd say that pretty much covers it. Bigger blues. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Two-Headed Giant, though. I mean, it's not something that you get a chance to do very often, so I do enjoy the diff- the change of, like, having it. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, I do know that one of our opponents made the comment that uh, we are both a bit too serious when we play, and I think some of that is due to the whole team aspect where, you know, you can't be sort of like, oh, just, oh, it was a misplay, oh, don't worry about it, it's not too much of a problem. When you yeah. got, when the person sitting next to you is like, no, don't misplay, I would like to win this one, you know, don't just, you're not allowed to just draft the crazy deck, Craig, because, you know, I'd actually like to play some magic, not just die because you're trying to play five-color do-nothing. You know, so the, the little bit of, it's a little bit more serious because, you know, you can't let down the person next to you, you know, you're not just letting yourself down. So I think we ended up maybe both being a bit too serious. I think I'm probably a bit too serious at any rate when I'm playing, but... I think we both have a tendency to do it, so it didn't really help when we were both playing together. Yeah, so I know one of the people, one of the teams we were playing against were just like, this is not really fun because they're taking it too seriously. And yeah, um, oops, but I think it's just the, it's just a cause and effect from team games is that you, your poker face goes on, your war face goes on because, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not just like if you go 03, oh, oops, oh well, I don't get any prize boosters. It's you no, know, the person next to you doesn't get any prize boosters. And, uh, yeah, 
They're the one who's meant to be giving you a lift home and now you're walking. <laughs> you know, so. It's actually quite difficult as well to communicate during the draft portion. Yeah, so. Because you, you're still not allowed to name cards. That's right. I mean, or I don't think technically for Friday Night Magics, it's, there's nothing stopping you from actually just naming every single card in the booster you open at Friday Night Magic, mm. but it is ill-advised because it really screws with a draft. And yeah, and people know exactly what you've taken as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, it does make things more complicated, um, especially when you're like, oh, I really hope we get, and then you're like, ah, how do I describe this card while giving it away to the room? Um, the one like that card, and you're pointing at Grey Merchant, I'm like, what's, what is the card like Grey Merchant? Disciple of Fenax? It's like, are you talking about the Disciple of Fenax to get the double black, or are we talking about the Scholar of Akthros to, like, drain them, or, yeah, are you talking yeah, about the yeah. Fanatic of Mogus, because it just hits both opponents, so, yeah, communication's always a fun one. If you can find a partner which both of you know a foreign language, or both of you have made up code words, you know, so you can go, oh, awesome, it's Bubblegum and, um, Lancelot, <laughs> then everybody else will be going, what the hell are they on about? But at least you know which cards Bubblegum and Lancelot are. Yeah, it was quite funny because I was actually using kind of some of the phrases that the guys on Channel Fireball have been using for, to oh, refer yeah. to the cards in the set, and nobody had any idea what I was talking about, including Craig. Because <laughs> yeah, well, I find some of them really funny. You're just like, oh, I hope we get Jace, and I'm just like, Jace? This is Theros. What are you on? <laughs> How am yeah. I supposed to know that's Triton Fortune Hunter or whatever? Yep. Yeah, for, for anyone who doesn't see it, it's a three-mana blue card that draws you cards. It's Jace. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> dear, 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 dear. And then there's some other ones, like there's Charlie, Charlie the Unicorn. Yeah, uh, okay. Which kind of makes sense. And then there's some pretty weird ones, like Begard and Hellkite. You're right, that's Boulderfall. Boulderfall. <laughs> so there's quite, there is some funny ones. Um, and I mean, the, technically your opponents could probably work them out as well if you're doing stuff like that. Because it isn't that, like I said Charlie at one point and someone in a different team, in fact I think it was Liz, uh, said, oh, so that's the unicorn then. <laughs> so that was maybe a little bit obvious. Yeah, whoops. But yeah, so it's interesting trying to communicate these things. You can come up with your own version of of whatever cards. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's good if you know some sort of niche language. Like if you're if you're listening from Luxembourg and you speak Luxembourgish, very few people also speak Luxembourgish. You're probably safe to use it with your teammates. Yeah. Or in um, our case, if we both spoke Gaelic. 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 Sorry, I'm having a go just because a lot of people say I'm going to go for a completely separate rant. There is Gaelic, which is Irish, and yep. Gaelic, which is Scots. Yeah, I know this. I just said yep. the wrong one. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just... Yeah. I, I work with a few uh, folk who are not from around here, and they keep going, oh, uh, do you speak Gaelic? It's like, no, I don't speak Gaelic. I also don't speak Gaelic, and Gaelic's more likely to be spoken in this country. Yeah. Anyways. I had, I had someone actually ask me once if I spoke garlic. And they just saying I your genu- stinks. I genuinely thought, I genuinely think that they thought that that was what the language was called. Garlic. Yeah. Gallic. Which was quite weird. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. But yeah, there you go. There's one thing that you've learned for tonight as a viewer, uh, listener. Yes. Good luck viewing a podcast. Um, That, yes, Irish is Gaelic and Scottish is Gaelic. Woo. Ah, dear. (laughs) Don't make that mistake. Because people like Craig will shout at you for it. <laughs> yes, yes, I will have a go because it's it, pronunciation can be important. 
Yes. I was also having a discussion about how you pronounce my name as well, but I'm not even getting into that one because I don't want people to call me by uh, incorrect pronunciations. I say it at the start of the show, if you don't know how Craig's pronounced, Craig. Anyways, I think we're probably done talking about all the teamwork events we've been playing recently. I think you're right, Craig. Ah, You had to call me Craig, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't resist it. You're just basically giving me... You I just did. left it right there. I gave you the ammunition. Yeah. Craig, yep. not Craig, Craig. There's yep. no there's no E in there. Anyways. I actually used to think that people were saying Greg. I have been called Greg in the past, but it's actually very seldom. Most people are just like, how do you spell that? And then I have to spell my surname as well. And they're just like, okay. It's like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Yeah. No, it's just like when I heard people saying Craig on American shows, I was just like, Greg? What? <laughs> I genuinely thought that's what they were saying. Because one time, it was finally, because they were always talking about Craigslist. That yes. was the main one that comes up. And they're all like, Craigslist, Craigslist. And I'm like, what? And then one time it was up on the screen, like someone was on a computer and they had it in front of them and it said Craigslist. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. <laughs> so yeah, it took, it took me a while. Also, I know I've mentioned before, Blood Baron and Blood Baron, totally different cards. Yeah, they are different cards. Yeah, so uh yeah. <laughs> Although if you listen to American coverage, you might not quite get that. Listen to Rich Hagen. A, he's funny. B, he's knowledgeable. C, he can pronounce the words. Yes. Okay, rant's over. We can go to the <laughs> outro. Yeah, that was a strange ending to a show. Well, sometimes you just need to vent. Anyways, yes. we're on Tumblr at delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. We are also on Facebook as Delving to Draft. Our email address is delvingtodraft.gmail.com. I am on Twitter as Ravik underscore. Dan is dark and mad. You also this week were me, Craig... And you, Dan. That's me. Not Craig. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is A Cannery, and it is roared to free music listeners in the Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0. And that's right, it's a tributation, not attribution, because I'm allowed to pronounce words incorrectly. <laughs> so ironic. <laughs> Have a go about how to pronounce words correctly, and then say the wrong pronunciation of attribution, attribution. Yeah! <laughs> pronunciation is important. Attribution. <laughs> Uh, You can't stop me, I control the program.